and they brought all of these colorful and, and traditions and music and, and rhythms and, and all of that, it's a lot of embellishing, which is a, a particular area. And I, I always go to Belo when I go visit Bahia, my brother, my sister, man, why you come to Belo every day? Why do you see here? I just feel home, I feel the energy, it's always music happening. It's an amazing, you know, has a lot of history. I feel home there. and welcome to the Lumen Innovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, and the creative people who make our world a better and more interesting place to live. In today's episode of the Lumen Innovation Podcast, I'm going to visit with self-taught artist Tony Parana, the featured artist of the 2017 Bayou City Art Festival. The Bayou City Art Festival is on October 14th and 15th, 2017, here in downtown Houston, Texas. This episode is the second of a two-part series highlighting the Bayou City Art Festival. In this episode, you'll come to realize that Tony is a very talented and lively artist who is extremely passionate about his work. This interview was done in his art studio near downtown Houston, Texas. Please be sure to listen to part one of the series, Lumen Innovation Podcast, Episode 5, which features a discussion I had with two members of the Art Colony Association, which produces the Bayou City Art Festival. And now, here is my discussion with the featured artist of the Bayou City Art Festival, Tony Parana. Welcome back to the Lumen Innovation Podcast. I'm joined here today by self-taught artist Tony Parana, and I'm sure I've got the name wrong. We'll work on that. Uh, he is from the state of Bahia, Brazil, an area known for its rich colors, flavorful foods, beautiful landscapes, eclectic music, and unique Afro-Brazilian traditions. Many of these components are portrayed in Piranha's work as he captures subject matter ranging from community life to local architecture, all having warmth, vibrant colors, and movement. Tony works primarily in oil paintings, mixed media, sculptures, and mosaics. His work has been featured in Brazil, Albuquerque, New York, Paris, Los Angeles, and of course here in Houston, where he is the featured artist at the upcoming Bayou City Art Festival. Welcome to the program, Tony. Well, thank you very much. My pleasure to be here. Tell me how bad I butchered your last name. No, oh, that was all right. That was all right. It's Paraná. Okay. This is the last age is ah, Tony Paraná. It happens all the time. All right. Uh, just just for the listeners out there, it's P A R A N A with the little accent symbol on the on top of the last A, right? Last A. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So tell the tell the listeners where we're at. Where are we at right now? Uh, this is my studio. It's a Spring Street. Uh, it's a uh, a lot of studios here, and my studios in the bottom is 128. Um, Which but, I could not find this morning. I couldn't yes. find 128. It wasn't labeled. Yeah, well, it's there. actually on my door because the studio is new. It, the number is not actually in the door, like on the way it's supposed to be, but that's the number. Uh, but you can find me online. You just wrote my name. You find me easily. Very good. Yeah, sure, sure enough, I was looking at your website the last few days to uh, try to do a little homework for this. and. Uh, you do have a very good website with a lot of your art being shown and some of the, the your background, and that's definitely a good place for the listeners to go and learn more. How would you uh, how would you classify your art? What is your style? 
Well, that's a very good question. I, I don't do that. I let my viewers and the collectors uh, say what they think about my work because for many reasons. Uh, first, I go to many, many places. I go uh, realistic, I go abstract, I go modern. Uh, and I, I believe that the day that we live in uh, today, art is so diverse, is so open to every artist that I don't want to label myself put me in, and put me in one category. So Okay, yeah, that's fair. We've got a unique challenge here is you are a visual artist and we're doing this over an audio-only medium. So we're, we've got a kind of unique challenge of trying to describe visual things uh, through words, but that's why we're here. That's what we think we can do well. So, so let's try it. Your scenes are usually favela landscapes. Favela is, is talk about the favela. Yeah, favelas, I grew up in the favelas. I lived in the favelas my whole life, pretty much, 22 So years. favelas are shanty towns, because yeah, that's, that's not a term towns. we're used to in the United States much. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not very common. Uh, however, it's very popular all over the world. Uh, South America, Central, even Europe has this neighborhood, these barrios in Spanish, the people that are more connected with it. And they're basically, uh, there was a land, you know, that was op uh, available and the people that migrated to the big cities, they ended up being without places to, to go, so they went to this location, they start building houses and more people came and the buildings start getting bigger and stronger and more solid and now the, the whole government provides water and, and, and electricity, so ended up being included to the city. However, the majority of the people that live there are people that, you know, with low income. Okay, so these are, I'm sure everyone has seen either a picture or a painting of something. These are more or less square box homes stacked on top of, top of square right. box homes. They're, exactly. And seemingly stacked and possibly tall. It but, is, it yeah. is. It happens like that. And I always love the, the architecture of the favelas. Looking for far away or even from close shots. It was always in my mind since I was young. And I guess it's just letting bloom right now. So it's favelas a feature in your art, but also you've got a lot of religious symbolism. Uh, hard-working people doing hard-working scenes. Right. Uh, you got music and dance. Talk about more of the, the inspiration of where you get ideas from to make your, your art and your paintings. Yeah, uh, I'm a professional musician as well, and I'm also a dancer. More a percussionist, like a, right? Percussionist, percussionist yeah. mostly okay. percussion. Uh, and I do capoeira, which is uh, Afro-Brazilian martial art. And capoeira is definitely really part of my life today and since I started. Um, and I try to add all these components in my work and uh, it's a very easy to merge one in, in, into the other in the favelas, in the landscape, in the street scenarios. I mean, growing up in Brazil was the best thing I could ever ask for. You know, we make our own toys, we have 15, 20 kids running on the street, we go to school, after the school, we go home, change the clothes and we go out of the street creating stuff and, you know, jumping the fence to steal fruit from the neighbor, mango, and, and it was just so much information that I feel so blessed today that I can apply all those memories in my work. That's very good, yeah, so you're, from what I've seen and what you just described, your childhood is 99% is of your inspiration for your art. Exactly, it's, yeah, that's, well said. That's, yeah, that's very good. So, so you're, a lot of the color just generally, uh, uh, from a distance looking at your art, you've got a lot of earthy tones, a lot of greens and, and blues and browns and oranges. Mm -hmm. uh, 
from an American's perspective, a lot of the, those colors are the same used in the Southwest United States. Right. You spent a little bit of time living there, right? So yeah. has that influenced living there? Has that influenced your art? Has that added to it? E, well, I, I say that everything that's around me had a, a certain level of influence on my work. Uh, when I moved to the U.S., it was the beginning of 2003. Um, of course, I came fresh from Brazil and all my inspiration was there. But as I was you know, starting the life here in the U.S. and, and learning different culture and talking to different people, all of that starts affecting you know, my present, you know. I can't say that it was totally influenced, you know, has a lot of influence, but it definitely does somewhere, somehow. Very good. So you've got, uh, you've got all these memories to pull from, but how does, how do you go from sitting around the house or sitting here in the studio and having an idea in your head and then turning that into a piece of art. Do you start out with a pencil sketch and then maybe paint over that? Does it all just come to you all in one big vision? How, how, how does that genesis start from going idea to a day or a week or a month later you've got a, a finished piece of art? Happiness, that's where it comes from. It comes from total uh, moment of happiness. I, as a self-taught artist, I do come to the studio. Sometimes I have uh, something in mind and a lot of times it just ended up developed to something else. And this is basically 20% of the times that happens. But, but what really happened is, I just feel the, the, the energy burning inside of me. I said, look, this is time for me to go and paint. I kind of describe in my body and my emotions, okay, it's time to do the music. This is time to go train capoeira. It's time to go paint. And when that, the air of energy comes to me, I said, I gotta be in the studio right now, and then do everything that I want to get to the studio as fast as possible. Then when I get here, and then everything start happening. So I kinda try to, to learn how my body talks to me, and how my thoughts, you know, uh, show that it guides me. That's learn to my body, learn to my emotions, and that's, I think, it's what it makes me do the best. That's an interesting that process that I've never really thought about it, but you, you're describing a process where your body is setting off a flag and say, hey, I've got to get to the studio, i got to go right now. Uh -huh. And that's something that I don't, <clears throat> I, I've never really thought about or I guess I don't even know how to relate to. But yeah. uh, So uh, from a writer's perspective, you know, the people that write books, uh, they will oftentimes describe something called writer's block. But what you're describing probably doesn't allow that because your body is telling me I've got to go and put this on canvas. So exactly. there's no such thing as a writer's block or a painter's block in your case, right? Yeah, it doesn't. It's, uh, in that case, it definitely changes. Um, it, it's, uh, it's a very, very interesting conversation when you're talking about art and how to create, you know, and we're talking about feelings and, and, and memories, which are all connected, you know, I feel that the memories are uh, layers of feelings and, and you storage the bad feelings, the good feelings and the ones that you still can deal with it, but when you can manage all those feelings and you feel the moment, that's when. That's what I'm talking about. So you have an emotional connection to each piece of art, where your exactly. your your mind, your inner my emotions are going crazy it, on these things. Huh? Exactly. And sometimes my whole body, when I I'm like I creating a piece, I feel really disconnected from what's happening right now. And then when the painting is done or the section is done, and I I step back and I look, oh, how what time is it? It passed three, four hours, five hours, six hours. I didn't stop to drink water or to eat anything. I, I feel that 
totally it's in the zone. It's not just a body connection, it's a spirit connection. Wow. It's an expression that it's a very natural and uh, I feel really, really happy with this. This is the one time where I kind of wish this was a video podcast because Tony is actually getting goosebumps on his arm describing this. This is, right. this is kind of a, a, a thing to see as opposed to just hear. Uh, I'm reminded of a story of Maya Angelou. She's a, a poet, a writer that died a few years back. And I remember reading one of her stories of how she created. She was a writer for five or six decades, a long time. And one of her habits, one of, she, one of the things she got into is that she had a hotel reserved in every town that she lived. So if she had a home in whatever town it was in, there was a, always a hotel room on standby that she rented by the month. And the instructions to the hotel was that in my room, I want all walls blank, take pictures out, take furniture out, take TV out, leave me a bed, and that's it. And that was wow. the space she had to build around her to do her work. Wonderful. You, what space do you, do you try to find yourself in to do your work? Well, um, I feel that every time, every year I go to Brazil, and I feel that when I go to Brazil, I re-energize through the whole year. I go and I, I visit the same people that I that was hanging out when I was in Brazil, people that I grew up with, uh, and I try to maintain a lot of the the basic things that I did, walking on the streets, going to the neighborhoods, and walking to the beach, and getting a bus, and even if I, I have a chance to rent a car or use some of my family's friend's car, uh, I, I feel that being connected with my roots, uh, you know, it really re-energizes myself. Now, now, it doesn't do for the whole year, but it does for a long period of time. Coming back from a trip, and full of energy, I create tons of work. Uh, but not just that, I feel that every time I do my music thing, my capoeira art, when I travel, when I'm, I am around good people that share uh, the good energy, I really believe in the energy aspect. And then when I feel that, I feel that energy, uh, the next day I'm ready to work. Very next cool. day I'm ready to paint, the next day I'm ready to create, and, it's kind of that work that way. So let's back up a few years. Um, you started painting at the age of 12 in Brazil. Mm -hmm. And then probably some of your childhood just took over. You started being a kid for a while and you took a few years off. Is that correct? Exactly. And then how did that process go to where you are now? Well, I'll tell you what. When I, I said I painted when I was 12. But what I basically did was some sketches with my mother. Okay. You know, uh, but it wasn't an art experience. So I felt that that should be added to my story, uh, you know, at 12 years old, you don't think about, unless you're really mad, mad to be an artist, it wasn't, it wasn't what I want. I didn't even know what I want, but I didn't want to spend a lot of time doing that thing because I know I just got distracted with many things that happened. I have four brothers and sisters, you know, and family was big. There were so many things that art was also not a very big thing in our family. Uh, my mom was the one that actually did a lot of sketching. And uh, so when I, I did a little bit and then stopped, I mean, it was just in, in the past. If I never had a chance to be an artist, I would probably... It wasn't even really on your radar. But it then you ran into a fellow named Rodolfo Rodin. Yeah, well, Rodolfo Rodin was a very, very special part of my life because we, we both, I was living in Bahia, northeast of Brazil, and he lived in Sao Paulo. So I was transferred to, transferred to Sao Paulo by my work, which was managing a store in the mall. And uh, 
he was his gallery kind of uh, art space was across the street from the from the mall. So every time after, not every time, but many times after the the shift, I go to his. I knew his son as well. So we ended up talking and he's painting and painting. And that is when art strikes me. And you were low 20s then, 22? I was 22, was, okay. yeah, like 22 before I came to the US. And that was a, a, a injection of art. The way that he creates, the way that the blank, the blank canvas turned into something so beautiful. And that intrigues me. And then I got a big passion. And that was when actually, I took two classes with him. And just between us and the rest of the world, I was actually interested <laughs> in somebody else. <laughs> I was interested in somebody else that were in the class. From New Mexico, right? No? No. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting ahead of the time, sure. No, sorry. Yeah, it, wasn't, it, wasn't from, it wasn't from my current, my, my wife at the moment. I was just, it was just somebody that was interested and uh, I, I went to two classes actually hands-on the paint. Okay. Uh, and then after that, it didn't work, she disappeared, light moves on. And then when New Mexico part happened, it was Angel, which was part of my life for 10 years, a person that I loved so much, and I still love and have so much respect for her. Uh, yeah, we were married 10 years. That was right before I came. Uh, no, that was, that was the reason I came to the US, because we got married. So you, you've got two brothers and two sisters, and here you are at the age of 22, 23, and you moved several thousand miles away to, to the United States. Uh -huh. uh, did your parents think you were crazy? And, yes. Uh, and what are your brothers and sisters doing? Are, are they? My brothers and sisters, they, my brother works with computer, my, my sister works with sales, my other sister works with, uh, in the restaurant business, and I have another brother who is a police officer, but he retired. And they're all back in Brazil? They're all back in Brazil. Okay, so you're, you've kind of totally less left uh, the homeland Basically, and you've every, made a living here? Everybody was there. Even I encouraged them to come with me, they don't want to come. My sister is now finally thinking about maybe, because of the you know Brazil politician is for a time. By the way, <laughs> uh, did you find that go moving to New Mexico was a, a really good fit for you for your art or personally? It was uh, beautiful. It there, was, so looking at your art, I mean, much of your art at first glance will look like something out of New Mexico, with the exception of that there's cactus right next to an ocean. Right, but the the. A lot of the scenes look very New Mexico-ish. It is. It is. New Mexico had a, such a big influence on my work because was New, Me New Mexico was the place. I'm a, I'm still a very passionate person for life. When life gives me something new to explore, you will see me on my full power as far as going out and learning and doing things. I want to know everything as much as I can, as fast as I can. Yeah. So New Mexico was just like that. And then I met my ex-wife parents, Julie and Brian, which are such a blessing people for this planet. Brian, God has you now, you win. I miss you so much. But those two bird people were so important in my art career because they gave me everything that I could as far as support. Connected me with galleries and I did, I met a gallery called Arte Loca Gallery, Crazy Art Gallery with Alvaro, which was the owner and he, right away, he gave me some support. Look, he said, I give you, I give you a, a solo show in my gallery if you create 15 pieces. Wow. What is their need? Oh yeah, man, that's, that's I, really went, I went to the store and I bought a bunch of work, a bunch of stuff. So I said, I'm just gonna paint. And you know, a lot of good things came out. A lot of 
uh, not so much good things came out. I sold a couple pieces, which was even better. You know, an artist is a very important uh, subject. We can create, create, create. It's very nice, important. But when you sell one of your work, that makes you believe a lot more. I was actually going to ask a question very similar to that. Do you, so at the age of 12 you started, you took a few years off, in the low 20s you got back into art. Do you remember the very first piece of art you sold? I remember. What was it? Oh, I remember that piece. I sold that piece. Look at that. This, the dear couple, I, I'm so bad with names, but they are collectors from New Mexico. They own the, the, um, the sell houses. They have five drawings original of Picasso in their house. Wow. I know. That's in, amazing. In, they bought one of my pieces, which was a, a piece that I create uh, based on the music from the Uhapa, which is a, a band that, you know, does a lot of spoken word about community and supporting each other. So they came to the show, they bought a piece, and they invited me to go to their house for an event. So when I went there, then I saw my piece next. Next to Picasso? To five original Picasso. You're like, wow, I've made it. I've made, I've made it. <laughs> That's amazing. A, a few weeks ago on this show, I was talking to an author, and uh, she had mentioned that when she got started, uh, that she was really excited when she got her first $10 check in the mail. Yes. So 10 bucks in the grand scheme of things is not a big deal, yes. but it, it was that, that mm -hmm. marker post along the road that says, I've mm -hmm. made it, someone's paying me for my effort now. Right. And so you're, you can very much relate to the same thing. Is that, that's, a, that's a signpost. I'm, I'm here now. It's exactly. It makes you believe in your, yourself because there's so many doubts that you have, you have around, your, you know, not around, but throughout your journey. And if you, it's really nice to have people that supports you, that comes to you and say, man, I love, I love your work. I really like your work. It doesn't matter what it is. It's some people that just come and just hang out with you and they're just there with you. Uh, and somehow they are supporting your work. But it's nothing really like selling it. Because you can say that you love my work. I really love, I really love your work. I know you're broke. I know you don't have money to buy. I'm just saying. And uh, when it happens, this first sale, which wasn't a so cheap sale, you know, it was really, it was like $400 sale. And I was like, wow, it was my first time making $400. I was like, whoa, man, this is so great. And it's at ages like you're talking about, that's actually legitimate real it money. That's a, lot exactly, of, that's a lot of money. It was legit yeah. money that makes me, oh, really, I, I could actually believe on that. So it's so important that artists sell and they have good people around them to motivate, you know. Yeah. And motivation yeah. is really... It, it justifies what you're doing and the it, time you're spending. It does. Doing it. it makes yeah. a lot of people quit, too, when you don't sell it. I can imagine. You've you, you got to get... I'm going to use the term payback, but I don't necessarily mean monetary always, but there's got to be some payback. There's got to be some something that's pushing you on to the next one. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. definitely true. As emotionally as you seem to get describing uh, the genesis of some of your pieces, do you get emotional when a piece is finished? I do. I, so I, I read it. I, I was reading about an author of which I now forget the name, but uh, he was describing that when he finishes a book, that he legitimately gets depressed because mm -hmm. it's, it's it's more or less like losing a family member that that thing is now gone and in, in the past. Do you have a similar thing? I do have that when I sell it, when I create the piece and I'm, I I got really really excited. But I don't think I ever had like a feeling as far as like emotion and cry because of the piece was so beautiful. Because you know, as an, we just <laughs> you think it's beautiful, but it's missing so much detail. Oh man, this eyes doesn't look good. This hand doesn't look horrible. 
But you know, in the end, when it's done, like it's not so bad. Well, so your pieces are generally, um, I hope you don't take this wrong, but your pieces are generally cartoonish, mm -hmm. where they're not exactly trying to be perfectly real to life. So how do you distinguish between a cartoonish idea, or eye, for instance, if you're making someone's eye, versus an eye that's just drawn horribly, <laughs> one that you're not happy with? Yeah, this is a very tricky question. It's, um, well, I have, I can, I can kind of describe myself two sides of me. I have one side that likes to create a lot of pretty subjects and art, and I have another side that likes to create what I am, where I really am. And you can see, if you look at my work, you see, okay, this can be on this side, and this can be on that side. However, you, you can put in many different locations and, and subjects as far as calling the, the work abstract or uh, realistic. But what I feel is it's not really anymore about what people will say or people will think. It's more about how I feel when I finish the piece. And when I feel, even I, I knowing that it's not perfect, at that moment, I'm happy with it. And that's what I'm going through now. Do you have any pieces that uh, maybe a friend would say, yeah, that's amazing, I would buy that, but you're so upset with it, you just throw it away? Does that happen? No, no, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> My previous works, they are, they are really high in the back because every time I look at them, I was like, well, my New Mexico times, I'm like, oh man, this piece needs to change so much. And I don't go back and fix it. I leave it because it's definitely a track on my art. I, I hear that from musicians as well, that, that their early work is, by, to, by their standards of today, their early work is crappy. It is. Uh, like but, that, yeah. but then again, those, those little mistakes you make along the way is what made you good today. Exactly. So that's, I've heard the same thing from music artists, which I realize is much of the same mindset, just to different media. Uh -huh. But that's, that's an interesting thing that you've, you've got that same, same kind of parallel yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. What research do you do um, when, I mean, you, you more or less lived your research, you lived in the favelas, you lived in, the, in, in Brazil, but do you have to go out and specifically do your research for a particular piece? Is that something you have to do? It's something that, this is something that I never do, is research about art. I'm very poor as far as knowledge. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but it's, it is what it is. This is me, people. I, I don't know much about all these famous artists. I know enough to say who that piece was. Oh, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so. But I, there are few, few artists that I go and do some research. They're mostly local. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I try to be around artists, go to art shows and try to be, you know, accurate of what's happening and uh, truly respect what has been passed and what the, other, the ones before us did, you know. Um, but I, I should do more research. No, that's all right. Your, your work is, it, it, it is good the way it is. So maybe not being influenced by the knowledge of those other things is maybe what makes you you. Yeah, I felt that many times when people asking me, why did you why did you didn't go to a school to try to learn about it? And I said, well, I think what I <laughs> it's funny because you are who you are, and there are two different sides of this story. You have your your talent with with your art, and then you're gonna be this. You can only get this far with this limited information. What about if I give you this school information from what you're gonna learn from university? Well, that can add to my work and make my work better. But however, it doesn't really say that 
all this information gonna make my work better? What if I explore my own talents? And from there, I will definitely have more, not only uh, reach further, but you're gonna be way happier to explore something that you know it's you. Well, also, if, if you're making truly unique art, there is no class in the world that will tell you how to do that. Right. Right, because it, uh -huh. it is your own flavor on, on the art. Yeah. Let's break out of the program here for a few seconds to give a shout out to our sponsor, Puzzometry, the hardest puzzle you'll never solve. If you love working on challenging, unique, and beautiful mechanical puzzles, then you've just got to try Puzzometry. P-U-Z-Z-O-M-E-T-R-Y, Puzzometry.com. They have three different puzzles to choose from, and all are for sale at Puzzometry.com. Check it out. You'll be glad that you did. Puzzometry can also be found on Twitter and Facebook. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Luminovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation. Before we get back to the program, I want to let you know that you can find all of the episodes of the Luminovation Podcast on our webpage, luminovation.com. That's L-U-M-Innovation.com, luminovation.com. We are also on iTunes as well as soundcloud.com. And now, back to the program. Here is more about the Bayou City Art Festival. I mentioned with our previous guests, uh, Bridget and Carrie, with the Bayou City Art Festival. I did put out a, a few feelers with our social media followers to ask what questions they had. Uh, two of them came back. One was, if you could have lunch with any artist, living or dead, who would it be? <laughs> Living or dead, I think we'll have a, a, a more than a, more than a lunch. I would love to meet Basquiat. Say, who is that again? Basquiat. Okay, I'll have yeah. to look that one up. You've, yeah. you've given uh, me something to Google now. Yeah, Basquiat from New York. Uh, he's a. Uh, it's uh, he didn't live long, but it, it, you go, you see. Uh, spell that name for us. Spell it. Spell his name. B a s k a t Basquiat. Okay, you okay. have to look that up. Uh, one other uh, kind of silly, fun-spirited question that came back. Pink. Uh, that's right. We'll uh, we'll look it up. But one other funny uh, kind of uh, fun-spirited question that came back was that if you were allowed uh, the opportunity to go into either um, MoMA in New York, the, the museum over there, mm -hmm. or the Museum of Fine Arts Houston here, and if you could steal and get away with any piece, what would you take? <laughs> that would be a very interesting. I don't. I haven't. I think I've been at MoMA in New York. Uh, but from Houston, there are several pieces that I was still, especially from the from Frida, the that she was late. I don't know if she still have some pieces now, but there are some pieces from Frida that it, it's lovely. I probably stole both of them. The one that I saw. <laughs> Why not? There. Right? Why not? Frida is such a m remarkable artist, you know, representing a lot. Yeah. So yeah. Probably her. <laughs> Very cool. So you you do a lot of your own uh, art. You've mentioned that you're a musician, uh, but I also know you've got your hands in in poetry as well. Can you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about your involvement in the Houston poetry scene? Very fun. Very fun. I I'm never try actually to <laughs> speak up. I don't I don't write a lot about poetry, but I enjoy so much. But you you sponsor <laughs> or host a few shows for this, right? Yeah, I felt that the connection with the the poetry and the art was there. So when I had my shows at my previous studio, I had a studio in Montrose. I always host local artists. And Lupe Mendes 
is a guy that he, he works for Nuestra Palabra uh, and he has a really big followers in, in, in poetry in the Houston scenario. And I have many projects that are coming up, hopefully it will come up soon, which will be, you know, it's a, I'm building a mobile art school in a 40 foot shipping container. Wow. Solar panels. So this is that you say an art school, not a studio, but a school it's where you can school. teach teach younger folks how to how to for do what you're free. doing. Wow, for can't free. Beat that. It's mobile. Really good. It's gonna travel around the communities that needs the most around Houston, providing poetry classes, art classes, music classes for free to the community. That's okay. what I'm looking for. I will keep in touch because I know a few communities that that would go over really well. Oh, that would be beautiful. Very cool. I'm going to. Uh, um, I'll pull a little trick on you here. I have okay. printed out four of your previous works, somewhat randomly selected off of your website. Okay. I hope you recognize those. Yes, <laughs> I do. So we've got uh, four of these, and we've got the, the weird task here, like I mentioned earlier, of trying to describe visual art over an audio uh, medium. But uh, out of these four, uh, pick one and talk about it, and talk about how it came about and what it means and some of the things that are not so obvious to see from the surface. Okay, this one. And uh, that is one called Nordeste, Nordeste. which I'm sure, I'm, yes, north, northeast. northeast. And this is uh, one that looks like something you might see in the southwest United States. It's got a cactus and a desert scene. It's got some young adults or boys with very peculiar drawn hands. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, talk about this. Yeah, it's a very, very beautiful scenario. Uh, there's a few things in this piece that you can... Nordeste, it's a part of Brazil that has been lonely for many, many years. And that's the northeast coast of Brazil, north, right? Yeah. Okay. It's been alone because the, the horrible administrator never really take, took care of them. Uh, and they have been passing through years, four, five years without rain. Hold, hold on one second. So for people listening, I want you guys to be able to have the ability to pull up a website right now and look up this. So if you go to todipirana.com and look up his piece of art, Nordeste, N-O-R-D-E-S-T-E, N-O-R-D-E-S-T-E, and you'll see the art that he is about to describe. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Nordeste, so this piece has a few things that you can connect. First, these two, there are two kids, they're young kids, because at that part of Brazil, they do not have a lot to do, but work. As soon as they able to hold it, hold the tool, they go out in the field to work to help the family. That's how it is. And when you touch some of those kids' hands, it look like foot. That's why on, I describe I put a foot on their hands. Yeah, the hands on these uh, two boys are drawn to look. They are drawn as feet, and they're attached mm -hmm. at the end of their arms where a hand ought to be. Uh, yeah, and you're and, describing the calluses and the hard working that these exactly these boys such do. a young age, and you touch those hands, and you wow. Very impressive. Another thing are their heads, they're very small compared to the body. Yeah. And that is the, the, the lack of knowledge because they do not have an option. Going to school, it's just not an option. First, they don't have schools enough, especially close to them. And second of all, it's either go to school or help the family to survive. So basically it's not, not an option. So this is a poor part of Brazil then, I'm guessing? Yes, it's a very, very needed part of Brazil, which but is... Okay, I did notice that the, the bodies on these were drawn a little bit out of proportion. The upper body is a little bit smaller than the lower body, but it didn't it didn't really dawn on me that you were trying to get the mm -hmm. point of the lack of education there. Yeah, the lack of education means that you know the head is it's trying to say that they does not have a lot of information, does not come to them. And that's another one. Here on the cactus in the middle, that's a tool called shada. Just a tool to describe 
the scenario. And it's a flat semicircular kind of a hoe thing, but it's flat instead of angled. Flat, yeah. So yeah, okay. they, they use it. And also the sun is really big. Really you big. See, the sun is gigantic because of these times of a year that supposed to rain and it didn't rain for many many years and a lot of them has to migrate to the big cities and because they migrate to the big cities but they do not have a place to stay what happened favelas favelas and so now we're looking at one of the other art and it is called favelas the name of it f-a-v-e-l-a mm -hmm. go ahead and describe yeah, it. favelas favela it's uh, we mentioned in the beginning you know the the Areas that people start building houses because they have nowhere to go with a small whatever they find on the streets, something to cover them. And from there, they can build, they build communities and they, they, they are a strong bond with them because they know the struggle that they, that they pass. You know, the, the, favela, the favela painting that we're looking at here, it's got to have. 200 small squares that are representing houses stacked on top of those houses mm -hmm. uh, and all very bright and, and vibrant uh, somewhat cartoonish but mm -hmm. uh, but just describing just how densely the uh, the homes are there yeah it's very very uh, normal as was it this was a scenario that I see from my house every day like this is this is a piece that I still actually have it. And then I have it. I have it. And, and I have then, it. And then Tolo uh, here. <laughs> yeah. So this is uh, representing. Uh, well, you go tell what it represents, but the colors here it's it's Pelo P E L O. Mm -hmm. I've also seen it as Pelorino. What is the Pelorino? Pelorino. Pelorino. Okay. Pelo. It's a short call for Pelorino. Pelorino is uh, in Bahia, of course. In it has a lot of uh, European kind of building style because it was building is more than 1500s and uh, it's colorful it's uh, it's also Bahia when Brazil was discovered Bahia was the main port of in income for the for the Africans that were coming to Brazil it was between four and five million Africans that came to Brazil through Bahia and they brought all of these colorful and, and traditions and music and, and rhythms and, and all of that, it's a lot of in Pelourinho, which is a, a particular area. And I, I always go to Pelourinho and I go visit Bahia, my brother, my sister, man, why you come to Pelo every day? Why do you see here? I just feel home, I feel the energy, it's always music happening. It's an amazing, you know, has a lot of history, I feel home there. Maybe. The, the buildings in this painting are very vibrant. Again, cartoonish looking, uh, two or three story homes of all kinds of different colors. There is one particular feature in it is the elevator that yeah. is that is commonly seen there because this, mm -hmm. the, the city is in multiple levels, multiple right? Multiple levels. And so there's an level. elevator that allows people to go from lower level to upper level, exactly. as opposed to just taking a road or stairways. <laughs> you jump in the elevator, nothing yeah. going, 30 seconds it's, later, you're there. Exactly. It's, like, it's so funny because it, it's like 25 cents to get the elevator. And it takes you from the Cidade Baixa, which is the lower city, to Cidade, Cidade Alta, which is the higher city. Uh, and they... It's, it's the fastest way to go to get up there, you know, unless you want to walk for, I don't know, and so 30, this 40 is minutes. A hundred or 200 feet difference in elevation Pretty much. within about a block space. In a block space. It's more or less yeah. a cliff, right? Yeah, it is. It is right by the ocean. And when you go to the elevator from up from upstairs, you can see the whole Bahia, the Suns, which is the, the ocean. It's such a beautiful location to go come and visit. So, so of all the ways to represent uh, Pelo, 
-hmm. Why that scene? What, what is it about your artist's brain that says, that is the scene I want to paint to pull out these memories of this town? Well, Pelodinho, it's, it's such an amazing location. Uh, I felt that, how can I, can I describe Pelodinho since I've been there for so many times? And well, I felt that the, the elevator, it's an icon piece for the Pelodinho. And their houses, the, the buildings around it, it, it was just easier because it connects with Pelourinho plus the elevator, you know, it definitely says, okay, this is Bahia. Because you can also find some of these buildings in, in many other countries, you know, with the colors and like side by sides. Because, oh, what is this? Is Caribbean? Is this, is, you know, so I thought that that would be perfect. Too. That definitely identifies that area. That, that yeah. elevator type scene, I'm sure, occurs nowhere else in the world. That yeah. is... That is definitely good. And the, the last one, I actually didn't expect to talk about all four of these. I figured I would pick, I'll let you pick one or two. But the last one, you can either look at the paper or look down at your T-shirt. This is the same right. painting you've got on your T-shirt. Right He's got a Bayou City Art Festival uh, T-shirt on. And since he is the featured artist, they have managed to put his, his item called Freedom. At least that's the English translation uh -huh. called Freedom. And it's right yeah. on the front of the T-shirt. What is the, the original name in the native language? Man, freedom is Esperanza. Freedom Hope. It's uh, the hope that we all carry with us. Every day that you wake up, you, do, you just hope for better things, not only for yourself, but I know you care about more than just yourself. So but the listeners me, don't have to travel to Brazil to relate to this one. This is actually a Houston no, scene. You can Houston. see some, some very distinctive Houston skyscraper skyline. The favelas, the kites with the kid holding the kite. That's the freedom right there. Yeah. The kite flying. There's a little bit of capoeira, which is the martial art that I practice, and I'm so proud of it. And the music in the back, the Houston skyline, and the, the, the discovery green trees and the water. It's a little bit of everything. It was hard to decide how can I describe Houston. And I didn't want to put, you know, football since I, I'm not really a big follower. Uh, but I thought, I thought that it works well. I've looked at this painting several times in the last few days, and it didn't occur to me until right now when you were describing it that, that on the left side is the Houston skyscrapers that we are all familiar with. Mm -hmm. On the right side, and a little bit on the left as well, are the favelas. I didn't realize that you had kind of merged Houston and Brazil all in one painting. <laughs> yes, a little bit of merge here, discovery green, the water, and it's a bee right on the left side. Is the bee someone on the... Oh yeah, the... the uh, yeah. I the, tried to get a little bit of everything, but it, you know, it's... You so know. what are the people, the little boys and girls here doing in this painting? What well, are you trying to represent there? Yeah, so those are capoeira. This is the capoeira. People have to research about capoeira and look at online. C-A-P-O-I-R-A, -A, capoeira. It's a very, very deeply into Brazilian culture. <clears throat> it's the biggest way of promoting the Brazilian language, Portuguese, outside of Brazil. It's also part of the Brazilian... Um, um, how did they say? Um, what is it? Uh, well, it's uh, in Brazil. That's a trick, hard to say. National treasure. Yeah, the okay. Brazilian government finally said, well, capoeira, it's a national treasure. It's uh, uh, unpriceable, you know, the, the amount of culture that it is in capoeira. It's more than 150 countries that has capoeira and we have capoeira all over Houston I'm so proud of it and I, from my perspective I said I need to put capoeira there because it's beautiful we teach kids two years old can come and do capoeira positivity fun you know works your strength your balance your coordination 
We work with special kids that needs. And this is a, a martial art. It's a, but not it's necessarily a, a combat style martial art. It's not a combat. It's not a combat. Yeah. Not anymore. It was used before by the Africans to fight against slavery. But with time changing, Capoeira today is not really a martial art anymore. Just a way of living. It's a very, very uh, amazing atmosphere and family that you merge into. It's somewhat of a dance, right? Yeah, well, the dance was added to the to the martial arts to disguise the fight. Okay. So the slave owners would not know what they were doing. So that's why you look like a dance and look like a fight. So our master says, Capoeira, you gotta fight like a dancer and you gotta dance like a fighter. Emerge that. It's I, beautiful. I, I, and looking uh, up some information for this in the last few days, I looked at a few YouTube videos of that and it was a very interesting thing. So go ahead and spell that so the listeners out there can know what to YouTube. Capoeira. You can go Capoeira Luanda Houston. It's C-A-P-O-I-R-A. -A, Capoeira. And we have classes all over Houston. We have in Sugarland with Bombrio. We have in right here in Dalta with Contramestre Gringo. And I'm teaching in Katy and Galleria area. All over the place. All Very over good. Houston. Taking over Houston. We, as I mentioned earlier, I guess, uh, as he mentioned earlier, we are here in your studio and I'm just looking around and seeing some of the art. Uh, I, I guess most of these look finished. Perhaps mm -hmm. a few aren't. I don't know if they look finished. But I recognize one over here from your website. If I remember, that is representing Rio, correct? Yeah, Rio de Janeiro. Mm -hmm. Okay, so go yeah. ahead and talk about that one. Yeah, Rio de Janeiro, I, I, when I moved from Sao Paulo to Rio, for, I lived in Rio for six months. I lived in Santa Teresa. And uh, Rio is such a really amazing location and, and place to go visit. That's uh, changing a little bit of the, what people regularly uh, describe in their work. I just try to do something that's a little bit more modern. I put a little bit of the Pão de Açúcar, which is the, the, the train that you get to go from one side of, to the other side, called the Pão de Açúcar. And the Cristo Redentor, which is the statue that most people know, it's just described different. It's, uh, so th this piece has two different frames uh, with a divider, a, a, a matte finish uh -huh. div div divider. And so you're trying to contrast two different scenes exactly. of the same? Try to contrast with the same, I kind of try to merge the colors, but I put opposite, opposite. Uh, you know, kind of the middle is the same uh, shape in the sky. Basically, I, put, I flip them and I add the drawings. Yeah, the, the blue part of it almost looks like two yeah. eyes looking out at us. Yeah, I really like the piece. It's, it has been I done a long time ago. So that's what I've been doing lately. I've been looking at my old old work, works, and I'm bringing them out because I, I thought, wow, see, I would never show this piece. I probably never showed that piece before. Okay, so, <laughs> so is that something you're going to have for sale or have prints of for sale? Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I'll have print, but I will definitely bring it to the show, to okay. the Bible City Arts Festival. All right, sure. and how will someone find that? What is that piece called again? That's a good question. I don't even know. I don't know the name, but I, it's called Rio. Okay, it's called Rio. Very <laughs> Rio. good. Rio. Uh, while we're on the kick here of describing art, right behind you is uh, uh, painting that I think from what I've seen of your art kind of sticks out as an unusual full full frame of a, of a person's face yeah. and upper chest. Go ahead and talk about that one. What is yeah, that? This one calls Lampião. Lampião is a very, very important figure in the Brazilian community, the Brazilian history. Uh, Lampião was the, the kind of a Robin Hood of Brazil, but he was not as nice as Robin Hood was. Uh, he was stolen for the rich, uh, sharing what he could with the poor, but the what Lampion stands for 
it's uh, fighting for your rights, uh, going against the, the, the system that tries to, to rape you off with your money and trying to get everything that, you, that they could. Lampion was one, one of those that was, he didn't want to be part of this, so he decided not to follow these rules and he went living outside in the Cangasso, which is a very hard place for the, the, the police to get into it and they know the area very well, so they were able to sustain themselves for many, many years. And a lot of people joined the group, and uh, he died, uh, but he's, his name is still there, standing, you know, as, as a, I guess, a, a, somebody that fights for their rights. And, you know, I would say like Bob Marley and people that kind of have a different view and uh, more like a, let's all be one, Let's all share, and you know, why do you have 10,000 acres of land when people doesn't have a place to leave? So if you had to pick anyone in your Brazilian history uh, to celebrate with a piece of your art, there's bound to have been dozens or hundreds of people to choose from over the years. Why him? Well, I chose many, I chose many other artists. I chose Caetano Veloso, I chose Gilberto Gil, I, I chose uh, even Brizola. Uh, Lula as well. I, I chose Lampion that was done in 2009, that piece, I believe. It was just uh, uh, one of my, my moments, I would say. Very you know, good. if I was listening to music and I'm reading a book and then he came out, I'd be like, oh, I need to paint him right away. You know, that was just an occasion. So is that one that will be available at the Bayou City Art Festival in a that few weeks? That also will be available at the Bayou City Art Festival. I had that piece for a long time. And I finally brought it out, and I, I did a little bit of modification, even if I shouldn't, but <laughs> I did a little bit of modification. I basically put colors on his hand, on his body, which was, it was just black and white. Yeah, this one has a, uh, it's mostly black and white. There is a red star over the right shoulder of the man. Uh, there is a red scarf, a very bright red scarf. Uh, I'm sure there's a more formal name for that attire, but it looks like a scarf. Yeah. Um, very big, imposing eyes staring back at you. Uh, really, really quite a piece. Um, so I'm kind of afraid to ask the following question, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with it. Uh, so in a few weeks, you're gonna be at the Bayou City Art Festival as the featured artist, yes. which is why we're talking to you here today. And man, what a, what a, what a treat it's been. Uh, can you give me, give the listeners a, a, an idea of the price range if they want a of piece course. of your art from, well, yeah. from where to where? Where's the upper end and the lower end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, every, it's a price for everybody. I have uh, small pieces and I also have prints. I have a limited prints edition that starts at $30. And I have uh, some original drawings that's going to go a little bit, a little bit higher. It's like $130, the original. That's still within reach. That's, exactly. That's, yeah, that's still and good. I do have uh, other pieces that go, my highest, my, it's not really highest, price on my, on my work. You can always pay more if you like. That's what I mean. <laughs> but I, Trying to pay the bills. Yeah, but the, the majority of the work, it goes between 150 all the way to four or $5,000. It really depends on the size of the work and how much effort it was put into the work. But I'm saying, if uh, I have a lot of lower price because I want everybody to have a, a chance to have one of my work. I really, really, if you talk to me really nicely, I'll let you do installments. That's what I'm saying. I'd rather have my work at your house than sitting in my studio. I want my things to, people to experience. And I want, one thing I want to make sure, come and, and connect with the art. Have the work, not just because it's cheap, 
not because it's it, just have the peace that you're gonna look at it in every day you're gonna have that joy every time you look at the piece you're like, oh, man I love this piece so you, you're, you're absolutely trying to make a living make no mistake but right but you're you're I can just tell by watching you the emotional connection to the art is really what you want to spread exactly people people that, that support the art they know what I'm talking about they don't buy just for buying. They because I'm saying this because there are people that come and just buy because they want to put something on the wall, but they just don't connect. You know, and that's the reason why people go to these big markets and buy, you know, many many copies of work that it's not original, it's just print, and, 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 and you don't know who the artist is. In the BioSeed Art Festival, they give you the chance for you to come and meet the artist, have one on one with the artist know about the work that you're looking for to buy and then make your mind and that's what i'm trying to make sure that people well we heard that. from our previous guests uh, the uh, kind of some of the management staff of the art festival they say it is a common thing for the featured artists to sell out so that might be a good sign for you right <laughs> that would be a great sign i gotta pay the credit card bills you know what i mean absolutely <laughs> but well, yeah yeah please come and and enjoy the festival. Well, we're talking to Tony Perrano here, the featured artist of the Bayou City Art Festival coming up on October 14th and 15th, downtown Houston. Uh, and we're about out of time, but uh, one last chance to connect to the audience. How can folks get in touch with you? With social media and emails and things yeah, like that? My social media is very easy. It's Tony Paraná, both for, the, for my Facebook page, for my Instagram. Uh, and if you want to see all my work, you can go www.tonyparaná.com. All my work's there. I have an email, tonyparanabr.gmail.com. You can email me, you can talk to me, and I'm just open. What a treat you've been. Uh, thank you, Tony, for being a yeah, part no, of the Loom Innovation you. Podcast. Thank you very much. I enjoyed this talk very much, and uh, I'm looking forward. Indeed, we'll see you in a couple weeks, October 14th and 15th, downtown Houston at the Bayou City Art Festival. Thanks for listening. Take care. I'm Jim Fox, and thank you for listening to the Loom Innovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, and the creative people who make our world a better and more interesting place to live.